the passage today, the theme of the message is that all of mankind is evil. We need Christ. Good morning, church. It is an honor. It is an honor. Humbling reality that I'm able to be a mouthpiece for God this morning to declare and explain to you this message, that the, the doctrine of total depravity, what God has to say about total sinfulness of man. As the video said, right, Hitler is not an anomaly. It is only by God's restraining grace that any of us are not trying to eradicate our neighbor. My goal this morning is what I believe the apostles' goal was, when writing this portion of the scripture, and that is to show in light, in light of the total depravity of nature of all mankind, that we are in desperately, desperately, we are in desperate need of a totally and sovereign and powerful Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. So let's get down to business. Let's continue our work with God and see what God has to say to us this morning. We begin with the theme of the message. All of mankind is evil. We need Christ. Church, today, today's text is the culmination, the culmination of what we've been studying for the last two months, starting at Romans 1.18, where Paul said, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. The wrath of God is being revealed, church, and all mankind, all humankind, suppressing the truth about God, have fell under sin. We have become enslaved to sin. And as a result, all mankind is evil. Just as Paul states here in the beginning of the passage, notice verse 9, it says, For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. We should have confusion here, right? When Paul says, we charge over and over again, over and over again, week after week, we have had nothing but, as Julius stated a month ago, bad news, right? Nothing but bad news in our text. We saw in the first chapter, Paul charged the Gentiles that they were under sin, right? They were radically depressed. Then as Paul anticipated the Jews saying, you go get Paul, those heathen Gentiles, there's nothing but dogs. Paul responds, you're telling them, of doing the same thing. You really think judgment of God? You who say one thing, yet you practice the same thing. Then last week we saw that Paul. Last week we saw that Paul was answering the Jews' question: that what is the benefit of being a Jew? Remember that? What is the benefit of being a Jew? Then Nick explained that Paul agreed that having God's word from the Torah to the prophecies, all the way through to the Psalms, is a great. As we see here in verse nine, not salvifically. Covenant provision have no salvific or eternal power without God's grace, without God's grace working itself out through. Why? 
sin, as verse 9 clearly states, both Jews and Greeks are under sin. Church, make no mistake about it. All of mankind, Jew, Greek, you, me, every single person is evil. We need Christ. Thank you. This is exactly what Paul meant when he said we are living under sin. We are born slaves to sin. We live in that slavery, in that debauchery, in so many ways. It is a total enslavement. Hence the theme of the message, all of mankind is evil. We need Christ. In the following text, we will show us that there are four results of our wickedness. Four results. Number one, our position before God is radically depraved. Number two, our mind is radically depraved. Number three, our worship is radically depraved. And then number four, the fourth point of the sermon, our actions are radically depraved. Those are my four points I will discuss today that will flow out of the theme that all of mankind is evil. We need Christ. So the first point of the sermon, the, the first evidence, the first fruit, if you will, of the evil root of depravity is our position is radically depraved. And again, when I say our position, I mean all, all mankind in an unregenerate, right, an unconverted natural state, our position before God is radically depraved. Or as Paul says here in verse 9, none is righteous, no, not one. As Pastor Chris explained to us in the devotions and in the, the sermons, righteousness is a legal term. In the book of Romans, it denotes our standing before God's justice. Julius talked about some of this this morning. None of us can stand before God not guilty, right? The word righteousness major, is a major theme in the book of Romans, appearing in one form or another more than 30 times. In my studies, I have come to learn the terms from the same Greek Root, righteousness, are usually translated justified or justification. Hence, when we are justified, right, declared righteous at conversion. Thus, righteousness is not only one of the key words in Romans, it's also a key criterion by which sin is judged. Therefore, it is the first evidence of all depravity. Paul makes an indictment that all of mankind is unrighteous. No one is righteous, no, not one. Church, our position is radically depraved. And this truth has been clear already, right, over the past couple months in Paul's teaching. From what we have studied so far, starting with chapter 1, verse 18, we have seen that to declare righteous before God, we need to follow the law perfectly all of our life. That is God's standard. Romans 2.13 says, It is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. Scholar Richard D. Phillips comments, if these are the terms, then we must begin our understanding of our salvation by recognizing that everybody needs, everybody's needs, people have all kinds of needs, companionship, employment, and even training and life skills, but a far profound need stands behind all this and it is this, to gain righteousness before God. Amen? Phillips is right when we need righteousness before God. God wants doers of the law, not just hearers. The problem is no one is righteous. No, not one. 
Or as our first point states, our position is radically depraved. God says, do the law and you will be justified. Does anyone keep it perfectly? Of course not. James tells us in 2.10, forever keeps the whole law, yet he stumbles at just one point. He's guilty of breaking the whole law. And uh, we as evil men will always fail to obey God's commands. Our position is radically depraved, church, because none is righteous, no, not one. God sets the standard, and we will fail to miss the mark. As Romans 3.23 says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. King Solomon said it this way, Indeed, there is no one on earth who is righteous. No one does what is right and never sins. Or as the psalmist states, enter into judgment with your servant, for no one is living. No one living is righteous before you. Church, this passage is clear, and the Bible confirms it in its fullness, that our position is radically depraved, because none are righteous, no, not one. Paul gives us an illustration of this, right? In Philippians 3, prior to Paul's conversion, to any Jew standard, Paul was a righteous man, right? And uh, God opened up his mind, though, to this truth that in the end, he had nothing, nothing righteous before God. Paul understood that the finger of this hard truth was pointing at him. And he gives us a testimony of this here. And Paul's, this is Paul's testimony to help illustrate the point more clearly. Philippians 3, I'm going to read it, 4 through 9. If anyone thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever I gain, I count it as loss for the sake of Christ. It sounds like Paul would say a loud amen to our theme, right? That all mankind is evil, including himself. He says, indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ, Jesus, my Lord. And then he says, for his sake, I have suffered. I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith, not having a righteousness of my own. How powerful is that? All of his acts of obedience, all of Paul's acts of obedience to the law, and he was still unrighteous. No one is righteous. No, not one. All of mankind is evil. We need Christ. What are the consequences of standing standing unrighteous before God? Does this even matter? Right? I mean, don't we hear many professed Christians say, only God can judge me. He knows my heart. Yeah, he knows your heart. And it's desperately wicked, right? Is that what Jeremiah says, Prophet Jeremiah? You might hear someone say, maybe a professed Christian say, yeah, I'm a sinner, but God is love. God will forgive me. Yes, God is love, right? God is so patient, as we learned in Romans 2. But a few weeks back, we've also learned that in God's kindness, his kindness is what leads us to what? Repentance. Amen. 
And without it, without true repentance and faith in the Savior, we are standing before a righteous God condemned. No one can stand before a holy and righteous judge, the God of glory. We will bear his wrath. Remember what Paul said in Romans 2.5, but because of your hard and impenitent heart, that's the reason for our unrighteousness, right? A hard and impenitent heart. You are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. Church, mankind's position is radically depraved. No one is righteous. No, not one. How about you? How about you? Do you understand this truth? Are you, as a professed Christian, trusting in any amount of your righteousness? Well, Paul has some news for you. No one is righteous. No, not one. Right? We need Christ. And we need Christ alone for us to stand before a holy God. We need his righteousness to be credited to our account as a legal act by God. This is what happens when someone's truly born again and converted by the sovereign grace of God. Too bad there wasn't a clear passage in Romans that gives us this glorious truth. Wait, there is. There is. By God's grace, we have a passage. Romans 4, 1, 3. Through the Apostle Paul, here's what he says. What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Abraham believed God, and it was counted or credited to him as righteousness. This is so powerful. A glorious truth that I'm looking forward to hearing more about in the next few weeks when we get to this, Romans 4, that we are justified by grace alone. This is the answer to all those when hearing the words that no one's righteous, they were thinking maybe, uh, wait a second, Paul, no one's righteous? What about Enoch? What about uh, Job? What about Joseph? Faithful men like them who are called righteous or blameless in the Old Testament scriptures. All of mankind is evil, church. Our position is radically depraved unless we have God's radically saving grace poured into our life. This has always been the case, right? From Genesis all the way to Revelation, through this whole book, Scripture tells us no one is righteous outside of faith and God's promises worked out in the cross. Our position is radically depraved. But there's a radical salvation in Christ for those who turn to his righteousness, not their own. This is why God's people can sing from the depths of their soul with joy and assurance. Nothing in my hands I bring. Simply to the cross I cling. All of mankind is evil. We need Christ. And without him, as the first point states, all are radically depraved. No one is righteous. So the next point, the next evidence of all mankind being totally depraved or evil, as the video puts it, is our mind is radically depraved. Our mind is radically depraved. The first point was our position, now our mind. Notice verse 11a says, no one understands. No one understands. 
what, Paul? No one understands? Who, 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 who do you think you're talking to? Imagine a Jewish audience, church. I mean, Nick brought out all the provisions, right? They had in the Old Covenant. Paul was telling them they had the oracles, the law. They got the law on Mount Sinai, right? But the truth is, they don't understand without Christ, without God's sovereign grace. Their mind is radically depraved. He already told us in chapter 1 that the Gentiles became futile, right? Remember that? In their thinking. And then in chapter 2, Paul said to the Jews, you have knowledge and truth. Sure. You teach others, right? But do you teach yourself? Of course they didn't. Their minds were radically depraved. Of course the Gentiles are futile in their thinking. Their minds were radically depraved. Or as Paul says, they don't understand. Richard D. Phillips points out that one of the differences between biblical Christianity and Roman Catholicism specifically under Thomas Aquinas' influence, argues that sin has affected other parts of our life, but not our mind, not our reasoning. Aquinas taught that our reasoning, in our reasoning, we can reach God. We can, we can understand him. We can understand who God is. We can understand what he wants from us. But Paul condemns this teaching, right? Paul says no one understands your mind is not excluded from this depravity of sin. Your mind is where the corruption begins its influence. Our minds are radically depraved. Paul gave us a glimpse of this back in Romans 1, right? Maybe some of you guys are thinking about this right now. This sounds familiar. Romans 1.21, the Bible says, And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, we have found out that's everybody, right? God gave them up. He gave them up to the base mind to do what ought not to be done. They were foolish. The Bible also says in 1 Corinthians 2.14, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. He is unable to understand them. Our minds are radically depraved. No one understands. And this is why when Paul, when talking about our sanctification process later in the chapters, right, we see in Romans 12.1, he says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by what? The renewal of your mind. Amen. That's what I'm hoping for. Thank you. <laughs> Get people involved. Thank you. Mankind is evil, church. We need Christ. We need Christ to cleanse our mind, to wash our mind in the word, as Paul puts it in Ephesians 5.26. Church, people no longer possess the ability, they never have the ability to, 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 apart from God's grace in Christ, to understand the truth about themselves, about God, about the world, etc. This is why Jesus told Nicodemus, remember when he saw that self-righteous Pharisee came to him at night? In John, in the Gospel of John, he says, unless someone is born again, he can't even see the kingdom of God. Forget about entering it, right? He can't even see it. Unless somebody's regenerate, born again, he can't even see the kingdom of God. He can't even understand what the kingdom is like and how to enter it. Church, the reason why most people reject the gospel, the reason why most of your family members maybe re reject the gospel, people at your work reject the gospel, when you talk about Christ, is they don't understand. Romans 8, 7 says, For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. 
Jesus taught this even more. We see this in the Gospels more than once. When he's talking to the Pharisees in their unbelief, he challenges them. He says in John 8, 43, why do you not understand what I say? Church, do you understand? Do you understand the gospel? Do you truly understand the gospel? Do you understand the depths of your sin? Do you understand that salvation is of the Lord? That even your so-called decision, right? Your decision to follow Christ was a gift that was worked out through you, right? Giving you the desire and the power to repent and believe. For Jesus said it this way, This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted to him by the Father. Theologian Dr. Dwayne Edward Spencer commenting on the inability of man to understand God states this, Natural unregenerate men cannot comprehend the things of God. They are the unborn dead who knows only darkness. They are totally depraved, wholly incapable of thinking, perceiving, or doing anything pleasing to God. Church, without Christ, our minds are desperately wicked. Who can understand them? I think a great illustration of this is one that Pastor gave us months back. It's, it was so telling. I wanted to remind you guys of it. <clears throat> Again, this guy, this um, scientist, atheist, Richard Dawkins, supposed to be a brilliant scientist, says there's no God, right? He doesn't believe in God. He wrote a book called The God Delusion. Somebody once asked him, an interviewer asked him, well, where do you think all this comes from then, right? It's a great question. Where does everything come from? Dawkins replied, this brilliant scientist says, maybe from outer space, maybe some alien. Maybe it was some alien from outer space. Church, before we laugh or maybe judge him self-righteously, let me ask you something. Wasn't this you before God in his sovereign grace chose to give you a new mind, right? I know it was me. Wasn't your mind corrupt and radically wicked? I know mine was. There's no room for pride in the Christian faith. All our minds are radically depraved and no one understands. All of mankind is evil. We need Christ. Now we come to the third point. We have learned so far two evidence of mankind being evil. The, one, the first one was our positions radically depraved. The second one was our minds are radically depraved. And now the third point, our worship. Our worship is radically depraved. And as a result, church, no one seeks God. Notice 11b through 12a, and then I'm going to skip down to uh, verse 18. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. And then it says, there is no fear of God before their eyes. Imagine the church in Rome. But wait a second, Paul. <laughs> if no one seeks God, then why do I see so many people praying before statues? Calling upon their God. Why is there so many people in the Old Testament writings that appear to be seeking God, and not just a God, but the God of Israel, 
the true and living God. We, we, this is us. We say the same thing, similar, right? Don't we say this? Where Christians say, wait a second, I know so many people are seeking God. They're very sincere in their faith, in their beliefs. And although they're not Christians, they're still seeking God. But the Bible says no one seeks God, no, not one. Another Old Testament verse that confirms this truth is Isaiah 64, 7a. Isaiah says, there is no one who calls upon your name who rouses himself to take hold of you. So then why does our experience seem to tell us otherwise, church? I like what Pastor Chris says. Uh, He says, people seek God. Just look around us, right? There's many religions. People seek God. But the truth is, no one seeks God rightly. Right? No one seeks the true God. No one seeks God in a saving way. No one seeks the true God. All so-called seekers are seeking the things only God can give. But at the same time, they're doing, as the text says, they're turning away from, from God with their worthless, in vain, false worship because they hate the true God and there's no fear of God before their eyes. And that is what Paul's getting at here. Our worship is radically depraved. And as a result, no one seeks God. It has been well said throughout many pulpits in church history that everybody worships something. Right? We've said that. We've talked about that. That is true. Everybody worships something. John Calvin once said our hearts are idol factories. They're always making new idols. Church, we need to understand We need to understand this. I can't tell you how many times I heard people, even some at NBC, say that they know someone who's seeking God, right? Sometimes we we, we call them seekers. There's even churches that build their whole structure or methodology or or ministry based on a seeker-sensitive approach. I like what R.C. Sproul said when commenting on this seeker-sensitive movement. He says this, If you want to have a seeker-sensitive church, what that means biblically is that you structure your worship, you structure your church, your program for Christians. You get what he's saying? You get what he's saying there? What Sproul met was only Christians, only true Christians seek God. Bottom line, all of mankind is evil. We need Christ. All of mankind's worship is radically depraved. People will seek a God, but the God of the Bible will never, never be loved by an unregenerate person. It's like Paul Washer once said, everybody wants to go to heaven. Everyone wants to go to heaven. They just don't want God to be there, right? Many would love to come to church, right? If what was offered were practical ways to live a happy life, if what was offered was how to be a better husband, right? How to be a better wife, a parent, better co-worker, how to have prosperity, happiness. Oh, will people come to fellowship here? This pews would be filled. Every church would be filled. Some false churches are filled, actually. But once you start preaching the whole counsel of God, once you start telling the people that all mankind is evil and only Christ can rescue us, once you start preaching the true gospel of grace, the pews will be empty. 
Those so-called seekers will do just as the passage says. They will turn aside. They will show that their worship is worthless and in vain. Why? Because they have no fear of God before their eyes, church. All of mankind is evil. Our worship is radically depraved. We need Christ. Point four. The fourth point. The fourth and final point of the sermon. Our actions are radically depraved. We found out that our positions are radically depraved, right? Our minds, our worship. The fourth point. Our actions. Church, I know a lot, of, a lot of us, we hear the world say that they are free. They don't need God. They're free to do whatever they want, right? They don't need God. They don't need Jesus. Don't buy into that lie. That lie is from the pits of hell. John 8, 34, Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits a sin, whoever commits sin, is a slave to sin. And here is what having a radically depraved will enslaved to sins looks like. Notice 12b through 17. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asp is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery, and the way of peace they have not known. Church, this makes so much sense, considering what we've just learned, right? If we're totally depraved, as the first point states, in our position, I mean, as uh, the theme states, all mankind is evil, and as the first point states, our position is radically depraved, right? And our mind is radically depraved, and our worship is radically depraved, of course our will will produce actions like these. Doesn't Jesus say, for out of the heart comes what? Out of the heart comes evil, thoughts, murder, adultery, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, and slander. And how about Romans 1, right? Remember Romans 1, what Paul says about all those who reject God? are filled with actions like envy, murder, deceit, gossip. Yeah, gossip, and many more. Church, our will is totally depraved outside of God's total sovereign grace, and it produces nothing but, as verse 13 says, a grave for a throat, <laughs> tongues to deceive. A mouth full of curses and bitterness. Some might say, wait a second here. I know plenty of people. Plenty of people have nothing but good, encouraging words that come out of their mouth. And some of them, maybe even most of them, aren't even Christians. Sure. Right? They're made in the image of God. Sure. That image in them comes up, pops up once in a while, Right? But what's their motivation? Is it producing life or is it producing death? What is their motivation? Are they people pleasers? Are they trying to get everybody to think how, how great they are? Probably. 
take the so-called most kindest, warmest, encouraging pastor in America, false teacher, Joel Osteen. His church, which is in a stadium, a huge stadium, is filled every week. Why? Because he gives them false assurance. Or as Michael was saying earlier, he tickles their ears, right? One time, one time he was uh, being interviewed, and Olstein stated this. He said, I've been doing this for a long time, and I have come to find out that 99% of people are good. Really. That is a lie from the pit of hell. No one is good. No one seeks God. No one has fear of God before their eyes. Everybody's good, then what's the gospel for? Right? What would we need the gospel for? Here's a word to all those false teachers out there, those so-called nice, kind people who deny the true gospel. All mankind is evil. We need Christ. So the answer to the question, what about all those unbelievers who seem so nice, so kind, who appear to have nothing but good things to come out of their mouth? They've all turned aside. They've all become worthless. They don't do good. None of them do. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asp is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. And their paths are ruin and misery. In the way of peace, they have not known. Outside the saving grace of Christ, our hearts are wicked. They're wicked. And our actions will follow. Because, as the fourth, fourth point states, our actions are radically depraved. Consider this illustration, church. One of the most powerful illustrations I've uh, come across lately. I've heard it, it just recently. It's about the nature of the human heart, how wicked it is. It's told about a man named Malcolm Muggeridge. Mr. Muggeridge, working as a journalist in India, he left his residence one evening to go to a nearby river for a swim. As he entered the water across the river, he saw an Indian woman from the nearby village who had come to have her bath. Muggeridge impulsively felt the allurement of the moment and temptation stormed into his mind. He had lived with this kind of struggle for years, but had somehow fought it off in honor of his commitment to his wife, Kitty. On this occasion, however, he wondered if he could cross the line of marital fidelity. He struggled just for a moment and then swam furiously toward the woman, literally trying to outdistance his conscience. His mind fed him the fantasy that stolen waters would be so sweet. And he swam the harder for it. Now he was just two or three feet away from her, and as he emerged from the water, any emotion that may have gripped him paled into insignificance when he compared with the devastation that shattered him as he looked at her. She was old and hideous, and her skin was wrinkled, and worst of all, she was a leper. This creature grinned at me, he said, showing a toothless mask. The experience left Muggeridge Church trembling and muttering under his breath. What a dirty, lecherous woman. <laughs> 
But then, the rude shock of it all dawned upon him. It was not the woman who was lecherous. It was his own heart. It was his own heart. Church, just like Mr. Mugrich, our hearts are evil. They lead us to depraved actions. His wife came to his mind. He knew what he was doing was evil. But as the illustration indicates, his struggle was only for a moment. And then with a depraved will, he swam to the woman with his feet, swift to shed blood in a path of ruin and misery. But as he saw the dirty, lecherous woman, his soul screamed out, right? This woman isn't wretched. This woman isn't evil. My heart is. I am. Muggridge understood, church, at that moment that his actions were radically depraved. Hopefully, Muggridge understood that he's evil and he needs Christ. We need Christ, church. The Jews need Christ. The Gentiles need Christ. Everyone needs Christ. Why? Because as the theme states, all mankind is evil. <laughs> what a dark, dark analysis of mankind, church. Wow. There's no one who is righteous. No one who understands. No one who seeks God. No one who truly loves their neighbor with their actions. No, not one, right? Wrong wrong. <clears throat> Paul's talking about all mankind who have ever been born in Adam under sin. But there is one, there is one church, one man who was born of a virgin who didn't inherit the sinful nature of man. The God-man, Jesus Christ from Nazareth. Jesus Christ, the image of the invisible God. The only mediator between God and man he lived a perfect, righteous life. He understood the truths about God. He worshiped the Father with all his heart, all his soul, all his mind and strength. And he loved his neighbor as himself. Oh, what a Savior we have. Right, church? The Bible says in Romans 3, 20 through 22, in which pastor will preach on next week, for by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. How could they be, right? After being reminded of this text, how could they be? But, but now, right? But now, later on it says, but now, the righteousness of God there it is. None is righteous, but God gives his elect an alien righteousness, one that comes outside of ourselves. Christ's righteousness, that is credited to us by faith. As verse 22 says, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. So in closing, church, so in closing, my question to you is this. Do you believe that outside of the saving grace of God, you are evil? Do you believe that you have nothing, nothing good in you that will give you any saving, saving value before God?
Do you believe that you need Christ? If so, by the power of God's Spirit, through your union with Christ, acknowledge, acknowledge that you are no longer evil, that you are a new creation in Christ, and rest in Christ's righteousness. Submit to the gospel that you now understand. Seek God. Seek God through scripture, saturated worship, and love your neighbor as yourself by making disciples of all nations. You're no longer evil. You have Christ. Let me pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, we thank you so much. God, uh, we know that you are sovereignly in control, Father, and we thank you for this passage. We thank you, God, for this passage. It is like a rug that was just taken right from under us, God. Anything that we thought that we were standing on that would uh, be a, a solid foundation has just been ripped from under us because of this passage, Lord. We thank you, God for Christ. We thank you, Jesus, for living the life we failed to live and die in the death that we so, so deserved. Help us, God. Help us, God. Help us. In spite of everything that's going on, Lord, help us walk out of here today with so much joy, so much joy that you saved an evil person a totally depraved person, somebody who can never seek you, who can never understand you, who can never worship you or love their neighbor without your sovereign grace. And help us, Lord, be a light to Brooklyn and all nations. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.